Good morning, everyone. My name is Geraldine Johnson, and along with my co-organizers, Deborah Schultz and Costanza Carafa, um, we are all delighted to welcome you to Oxford and to Christchurch in particular. Now, Oxford has played, and as we can see from the great interest in this conference, continues to play an important role in the history of photography, uh, and has done so really right from the start of the history of photography. Indeed, the very first plate in William Henry Fox Talbot's Pencil of Nature, generally thought to be the earliest commercially published book illustrated with photographic images, depicts the Queen's College in Oxford, located only about 200 meters from where we are sitting right now. Even closer to hand is the structure depicted in plate 18 of the Pencil of Nature, which you see here. It shows, of course, the main entrance to Christchurch itself, presided over by Tom Tower, through which we all walked only moments ago. And to further underline the role played by Oxford in the development of photography, I only need to mention the name of one of my eminent predecessors as a fellow here at Christchurch, Charles Dodson, famed as a mathematician in his own day, but probably even more famous now as both the author of Alice's Adventures in Wonderland, written under his pen name of Lewis Carroll, and of course as the photographer of the real-life Alice, who posed for him against the walls of Christchurch, where her father was dean of the college, and where Dodgson's living quarters, just a few doors down from Tom Tower, also served as his photographic studio. So we can place photography quite literally within the stony streetscapes and grassy quads of Oxford. But photographic prints, like Talbot's image of the entrance to Christchurch, also exist in other ever-changing places, initially, of course, in the pages of the Pencil of Nature itself, designed to be treasured, touched, and turned within the intimate confines of a Victorian ladies' parlor, a well-to-do gentleman's library, or, as here, posed for the camera for Talbot himself to photograph, much as he does the human sitters who engage it with both their hands and their eyes. <coughs> Today, the pencil of nature is usually located in much less multi-sensory surroundings, as is the case in art museums and galleries that, as in this example, um, which I hope you can see, we may need to dim the lights a little bit here, but um, there's a kind of, it's set in sort of a mount um, on a board. Um, as in this example, uh, this way of, of uh, preserving and presenting individual photographic prints, of course, removed from the book in which they were intended to appear, preserving such individual prints and mounts actually recalls museological conventions of old master print and drawing collections more than anything um, that we might have thought about um, as the original context uh, for the pencil of nature. Or, as in the case of Oxford's own Bodleian Library, the pencil of nature is archived as a complete volume, but now carefully stored in optimal atmospheric conditions amongst other rare books of bibliographic rather than explicitly artistic, scientific, or ethnographic interest. Only about 15 complete editions of Talbot's Pencil of Nature survive, including the copy now in the Bodleian. Ironically, however, the technologies of modern librarianship and archival best practice mean that the Bodleian's copy of the Pencil of Nature can now no longer be taken out and routinely handled by scholars and curators, let alone by the kinds of embodied, everyday beholders for whom it was originally made. 
Instead, Talbot's photograph of the entrance to Christchurch is available to us today primarily through the medium of digital photography, projected everywhere in virtual form, but nowhere materially, or like Schrodinger's cat, simultaneously alive and dead. The tangible traces of its earlier embodied life, still visible in the finger smudges, stains, and scuffs on some of its pages of the actual object, for example, in the Bodleian, but at the same time materially inert, if not actually dead, when projected on the screen behind me. Or, to put a more positive spin on it, perhaps living a new kind of life amongst all of us seated this morning in this lecture theater. What Walter Benjamin may have meant when he suggested that photographs by, quote, permitting the reproduction to meet the beholder in his own particular situation reactivates the object reproduced. But Deborah will explore these and other questions raised about where and why we place and are placed by photographs and by the photographic in her introductory remarks. These themes will also be addressed in greater detail in the papers we will be hearing today and tomorrow, as well as in the excursions we'll be making to some of Oxford's oldest and newest photographic archives in the coming two days. And I show you here uh, an example of an object stored in the former type of ar archive, that is one of the older ones, in the Pitt Rivers Museum, home of one of the world's most important collections of early ethnographic photographs, as well um, uh, as an example here of the latter, of a more recent archive, the Middle East Center uh, Archive, which some of you will be visiting also, housed in a fabulous new building designed by the late Zaha Hadid and completed less than two years ago. Before handing over to Deborah, I just want to remind you just of a few little uh, more housekeeping things. Um, one of which is maybe the most important is to please keep an eye on the timetable. Um, obviously, we'll be working on that side of it here for the talks, but when you're out and about, especially going to see some of our wonderful photographic archives today after lunch, and again, first thing tomorrow morning, since you really will need to allow a bit of time to get back and forth from the archives, especially the slightly more distant ones. And I do have to warn you that neither the site visit hosts nor the session chairs back here are going to delay proceedings to deal with any stragglers. So if you were planning on a sneaky cup of coffee on the way back from, I don't know, the History of Science Museum, um, make it a fast sneak rather than a slow sneak. Um, and I also want to thank very much our graduate helpers, Emily Knight, who you will have met at the registration desk, and also Hannah Kinney, who, as I hope you will all agree, has been a real star in getting us to the point that we can now sit back and relax and enjoy the wonderful line of papers that we're about to hear. And I would, of course, like to thank uh, our sponsors, the Crest Foundation, and at Oxford, the John Fell Fund, the History Faculty's Sanderson Fund, and Christchurch itself, without whose support we wouldn't be in this place at all, contemplating the place of photography. Thank you, and once again, welcome. Good morning, and I'm also going to keep this quite short. I just want to have the chance to, to welcome you all as well, and uh, I'm really delighted that so many people are able to come. Um, we've been planning this for about a year and a half, so after you know, a short conversation with Costanza and then further conversations with Geraldine, I was really delighted that we were able to um, yeah, get to this wonderful stage um, with all that we can do over the next couple of days. Um, as you probably already know, this is the sixth in the series of photo archive initiatives organized by uh, Costanza Carafa and the Kunsthistorische Institute in Florence. 
since 2009, taking place in London, Florence, New York, Florence again, and Los Angeles. And a number of our speakers today um, were also speakers at some of those conferences. Geraldine, in fact, uh, spoke at the first conference at the Courtauld. Uh, so we can see our own conference as part of this ongoing uh, conversation, crossing boundaries between academics, conservators, curators, archivists, and practicing photographers, um, all of whom are amongst our delegates uh, today. Previous conferences in the series have focused on photo archives in relation to the photographic memory of art history, hidden archives, the idea of nation, and the paradigm of objectivity. Well, as you already know, we're focusing on the place of photography, uh, using this notion to explore both the physical location of a photograph or photographic archive, as well as the place of photography as a discursive practice with regards to its value or significance as a method of viewing and conceiving of the world. So the conference addresses this duality of the photograph as both a two-dimensional image and a tactile three-dimensional object with material qualities. As mobile objects, photographs often change their physical location, moving between varied commercial, artistic, social, academic and scientific locations. The same image may find its home in a variety of different spaces each time acquiring a different value. Thus, the photograph's physical location is directly related to its function and significance. Issues of mobility and place equally concern the users of an archive, scholars as well as archivists, who move in spaces shaped by the classification and storage systems of individual institutions. The way in which material is ordered conceptually as well as spatially, affects the user's interaction with it, both by constructing particular interpretive practices and by generating chance findings. And some of you will be coming to the History of Art Department uh, with me this afternoon. Um, and it's one of, I think, most exciting things to do in that uh, space is just to open random boxes and, you know, and see what's inside them. And there are always different combinations. You know, the photographs just sitting, waiting for, for people to come and bring new ideas to them. And it's those kinds of, that multitude of possibilities that uh, the photo archives are so rich in. Um, and the potential for research through photography was recognized early on uh, John Henry Parker commented in 1870 on the very early photo archive at the Ashmolean. He said, at first sight, indeed, it might seem absurd to say that in this small building, the general history of architecture can be illustrated. But the art of photography enables us to do many things that were impossible before. I'm keeping an eye on the time, so I think I will uh, finish up just to say thank you um, to all of our speakers and especially our site hosts uh, who are here with us as well. Um, and to, yes, to think about that multitude of possibilities that little photographs 
uh, stored away can offer us. So good morning and welcome.